Welcome to ADHD Crash Course. Today I wanted to talk about something that comes up for many of us, and it is this experience of people perceiving us as selfish because of ADHD. So let me start this out by telling you, you are not selfish. I mean, I don't know you, maybe you are selfish, but not for the reasons that we're going to talk about today that are often misunderstood and interpreted as selfishness. And this can be really tricky. I was working with a teenager years ago, and we were working on executive functioning skills. We were not really working on social aspects of of ADHD and how that was impacting her. And one day she came to our session and she was just really down. And I asked her like, hey, you don't really seem like yourself. Is something going on? And she just burst into tears. And she told me the story about being in the hallway and approaching her friend group, but they didn't see her. They were kind of in this like half circle and she was behind them. And when she approached them, they were talking about her and they were saying how selfish she was, how everything was always about her, how she always hijacked conversations. Just this whole group of girls that were like her closest friends trashing her and trashing her character and talking about essentially how selfish she was and what a selfish friend she was. And she was crushed. She like, this just like came out of the blue for her, obviously like devastating. And I had to kind of control my own <laughs> impulsivity in that moment because I was so angry hearing about how she was treated. And some of that, of course, like being on her side is helpful, but some of it's not helpful. Like she didn't need to deal with my anger as she was dealing with all of her own emotions. And so, you know, I had to pull back there and listen and just be with her. But later on, she wanted to look at the situation and see if there were things leading up to it that she had impacted. It wasn't the first time that something like this had happened to her. This was, you know, maybe a more painful, more extreme situation because it was her whole group of friends. But she had had friends in the past that got frustrated with her because, you know, maybe she was interrupting or she was quote-unquote hijacking a story or that kind of thing so it wasn't totally unfamiliar even though the delivery was pretty cruel and and not okay we were able to figure out some contributing factors and you know as it turned out this these were not her people it wasn't the friend group that she ended up staying with for lots of reasons but she was also able to kind of have a more empowered position recognizing did she have any role in this you know what was there something she wanted to take away from this in her next relationships, her next friendships. So like a lot of us have this experience of being perceived as selfish in conversations or even in relationships. And I think for some common reasons that do not have to do with selfishness, but they can be perceived that way. I think one of the biggest factors that I see is that we have this connection brain. I had Tamara Rozier, who who wrote Your Brain's Not Broken, on the podcast a bit ago. And we talked about divergent thinking versus convergent thinking. This connection brain is the divergent thinking pattern. Like divergent thought will take your friend's experience and it'll want to make all the connections. Like your friend's talking about their vacation and you're going to want to find other stories that are similar, things that you've experienced, bigger ideas and themes. It doesn't mean you're selfish, but it can really deflate someone who who's looking for someone to hear about their experience and so 
this challenge that we have is that we might have to put on our convergent thinking hat in this example and stay in the moment with our friend's experience. Your brain still may want to kind of explode out and make more connections. And you can do that, right? But you can choose to do that by digging deeper into their experience sometimes. Asking questions about their favorite part of the trip or, you know, were there things they would have done differently? Open-ended questions that can be more um, on track with how your brain wants to operate. But they also let people know, hey, I see you. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your experience. Really, we all have that fundamental need, human need to be seen and have the people in our lives be interested in us and who we are and our experiences. So we can do that for the people in our lives in a way that still fits our brain that's not complete masking and so I I will continue to talk in in this episode about masking and how can we make changes to line up with who we want to be without masking when you're trying to you're trying to be someone you're not and relate to people in a way that that is not authentic that's not good either we want to find a way to see okay what is still kind of in line with my brain but is also aware of other people. You know, another factor that I think comes up a lot for us, it maybe number two in why we might be perceived as selfish, is that we may need to take a more active role in a conversation in order to stay focused. A lot of times with ADHD, we need a little more stimulation to stay with something. Like if I'm listening to a lecture, I have to be doodling or taking notes. If I'm watching TV, I want to be doing something fiddly with my hands. I have the subtitles on. Like, I need more. So jumping in and staying active might be a part of what you actually need to be a good listener. The problem is, is that sometimes that kind of active contribution can be out of sync. Like, a perfect example is finishing people's sentences. I Something that I have really worked on personally, because it can be really frustrating on the other end of that. The other day, I was talking to my mom, who's a big sentence finisher, and I was talking about this experience of getting dual citizenship, and it's been a lot of frustrations. And I was starting the sentence by saying, I'm just kind of feeling like and she finished it for me. You don't want to do it anymore. No, no, that's not really what I'm trying to say. I'm just kind of feeling like, and then she finishes it for me. You're not sure who to call about this. I'm like, no, that's not it. And I'm just kind of feeling, and she's like, it's all kind of too much. And finally, I was like, I'm just kind of feeling like I would like to finish my own sentence. And you know, it's my mom. We started laughing and was silly, but it was also true that I wasn't getting time to finish my thought, to to express my thought and she was doing her best to be there with me and she was a couple steps ahead of me but she was a couple steps ahead of me in the wrong direction and part of this like satisfying communication with somebody is kind of being on the same path right like if you're going way off even though you're really trying to be there with them um, you're not you no longer are and she no longer was and so I, I get this. This is more of a rhythm thing. I don't see this as selfishness, but it can come off as selfishness or it could come off as not being so interested in what that other person is having to say. One of my favorite tennis coaches is someone who really observes her players and suggests things based on kind of their style, even their brain type. And she helped me see that when I'm playing tennis, that I'm very much a rhythm player and so if the ball is kind of like bounce hit bounce hit and has this quick hard kind of pace I do really well 
if somebody starts hitting me really high in loopy balls and the pace gets slower, then I struggle. Like I struggle to stay attentive. I struggle to like not overhit the ball. It's challenging for me and it's challenging for me in a mental way. And so she in tennis gave me tips on how to my mind stay actively engaged, even if I wasn't actually hitting the ball. And I think this is kind of a good analogy for the rhythm of conversation. We have a preference maybe that feels more comfortable for us with conversation and talking. And so we need to find ways to be active that is still in sync with the other person. You know, another thing that we deal with that can make us appear selfish in conversations is dealing with our own impulsivity. Like finishing sentences is, you know, a part of this impulsivity. So is, you know, sharing immediately something that your brain has made the connection about because it feels really important in that moment and you just want to, you want to share it. You know, I absolutely still have this experience of having this impulse and having to pause and decide like it, how important is this right now, especially with the kind of work that I do. Even with my introductory calls, I only have 30 minutes with someone to learn a lot about them, to hear where they are, hear where they'd like to go, hear kind of what's getting in their way, deciding if we would be a good fit. And so when I'm having these calls, my brain might be making all kinds of connections that feel kind of important and I have to pause and decide if this is the moment. And a lot of times I decide no. Like I was speaking to somebody last week and there were, if it was a social chat, I might have gone and shared some of the things that popped into my head that felt like connections. But it just, given the goal of that time together, when I pause, it didn't really feel like I needed to say those things. So the example for this talk was this person's professor. Well, my sister's a professor. And so like immediately my brain kind of goes to this connection. And socially I might share that. And we might kind of spring off into conversation about that, but we kind of have a different objective during this call. And so popped into my head, felt the impulse to share it, decided, no, it probably isn't really going to help us get where we need to go. Then then found out this person's professor at the same university my daughter's attending. Once again, socially absolutely would talk about this and maybe even talk about this or, or share this in this call. There's something inherently wrong with sharing it, but the timing was such that this person that I was talking to was getting momentum and we didn't really need to deviate off at that moment because they were processing and talking about things that were important. So my brain makes this connection. I have to pause sometimes and in, in not necessarily act right away. And that's that whole impulsivity piece. And it can be a lot of work. So I think once again, when we talk about this in terms of masking versus growing, if you are shutting down every impulse you have, and you're just kind of exhausting yourself, triple thinking everything you say in order to be better accepted, that's not really the heart of what I'm talking about here. The heart of what I'm talking about here is I want to show up a certain way as a coach. And so I am working with my brain, not judging, and I'm not judging the fact that I have all these random impulses to share with this person that I just met. That's my brain, and I'm okay with that. But because I want to show up a certain way, and it's important to me, I think like this is how I want to coach. This is the space I want to create for other people. The changes that I make are intentional, and I'm kind of designing them. I'm not making them to be more pleasing or acceptable to people. At least that's how I think about it, because it's a really good question to look at, okay, when am I masking, and when am I just working on something that I want to do differently? 
and I don't think there's a lot of really easy answers with this. I think it's just something we have to continually ask ourselves and be aware of. So, you know, so far we've talked about kind of our divergent connection brain. We've talked about needing to be an active role in the conversation. We're talking about impulsivity when things feel really important to share and deciding whether or not we're sharing right then. Another factor that kind of ties into this impulsivity about wanting to share right now is memory like working memory, if you are someone like me who really struggles with memory, sometimes that impulsivity is because you know a couple seconds even down the road you're not going to share this. So deciding whether or not it's important in that moment really feels intense. You know, one of the ways that I work with this in coaching for myself is I write down things. If someone's kind of processing and I don't want to interrupt them, but I think, oh, this could be important to go back to, I just jot myself a note. It's one of the reasons why I choose to do a lot of phone calls versus video calls because I do a lot of writing and fiddling and, and even doodling and it helps me focus, it helps me process, it helps me accommodate for my memory. But if we were doing a video call, that can look like I'm distracted and that could kind of have an impact on someone else. And so I do a lot of phone calls. Some people would prefer to do a video call. And so if I'm doing a video call, I'll just let people know, hey, let me know if this distracts you. But this is a part of like kind of how I process to write these notes. Um, Sometimes I'm just doodling an eye as you talk and that's helping me (laughs) focus. Uh, Sometimes it's a thought that I want to go back to because I want to remember this. It really is all about that person and being present it may not come off that way. So in that setting, might write myself a little note so I'm not feeling as impulsive. And it may be that that thing that popped up really isn't important. As they process, they end up in a totally different direction that they want to be on. Or it could be, wow, this is something to come back to. I may use it, I may not, but it helps me not feel that kind of intensity to share right now, now or never kind of feeling. Now, that's harder to do in conversation. It's harder to do when you're just chatting with someone. Socially, you know, I'm not going to be able to like pull out my notepad and write while somebody's talking. But if it is something that feels pretty important, but I don't want to interrupt, I might just tell the person, you know, I really want to focus on what you're saying. Will you remind me to tell you about blank or ask you about blank? That is still respecting my brain. Like I'm, I'm a part of this conversation too, but it's also really considerate of them as well. Like, you know, now I don't know that I would be able to do that for somebody, but, but a lot of people are able to do that and they're happy to do that. Okay, yeah, I finished what I'm saying. What, what did you have to ask me about? So we can be kind of creative how we do this, but the balance between masking and growing sometimes is just respecting that the, your brain and that person's brain is, is in this conversation, trying to find a way to communicate that is a good fit for both of you. You know, so far I've been talking a lot about being perceived as selfish when it comes to pretty much conversation, right? Like interacting. But there is another kind of pitfall that people really frequently deal with who have ADHD when it comes to be being perceived as selfish or uncaring in their relationships. And it has to do with the whole out of sight, out of mind tendency we can have. That even if people are very important to us, we may be pulled by what's in the now. If that person isn't in our immediate space, we may forget to connect. And it doesn't mean that person isn't important to us. There are a lot of really important things that we assume that we're going to automatically remember to do. Things that are, are so important, we think, oh, these are unforgettable. And yet right? Like we can drop the ball on these things. And so it's that distractibility, impulsivity dance. You know, my focus has shifted because something else is my immediate environment. My brain says, go, it's go time. 
So this is where having both insight and acceptance with ADHD really helps. Insight is, I know that that even if something is very important to me, I might still forget it. That's the insight. The acceptance is, I'm not going to make a moral judgment about that. I'm not going to say that makes me a bad friend. I'm not going to believe that this is some character flaw that I have. There's this acceptance about, okay, this is hard for me. Others may perceive that that means I don't care, but I know that's not true. But because this is hard for me, I have the insight it's hard for me. I accept that this is so. Then I might approach this a little differently than a neurotypical person. I might need concrete visual reminders to reach out when other people around me don't. And it doesn't mean I don't care about the person I'm reaching out to. But when we get caught up in that narrative, I'm a bad friend, I don't show up for people, I'm not consistent, it can be really destructive and prevent us from showing up in the ways that we can. I was working with somebody and this was an issue she was dealing with. She really valued some of these friendships and felt super guilty about not initiating, not reciprocating, letting the ball drop with plans or just chatting. And the more she judged herself, the more she just felt like she couldn't even return a call because it had been so long or she couldn't even reach out because she hadn't done it before. We had to do some work on just not judging herself and being compassionate towards herself, recognizing this was hard, recognizing her tendency to see this in a black and white way. Good friends do X. I'm not doing X. And so I'm not a good friend. This was preventing her from showing up in the ways that she could. One of the strategies we used was just literally scheduling in reach out to a friend at this time or this day, something that was pretty concrete. And when you have these ideas about, well, a good friend would just remember her friends. Well, a good friend would just think to do this. It can keep you from doing anything because then you've decided, well, I'm not a good friend. I'm not remembering. And just having this insight that forgetting it doesn't mean this person doesn't matter to you. It doesn't mean you're a bad friend. It may need to look different in order for you to maintain priorities that line up with your values, with what you want to do. And when she was able to see herself a little bit more compassion, a little less judgment, it was a lot easier for her to set aside a certain amount of time. When she saw this as less black and white, she could kind of accept that maybe that meant just a text, or maybe that meant just a coffee, not necessarily an entire day or an hour conversation, but if she wanted to consistently demonstrate that she cared about her friends, if she wanted to consistently connect with them, that that it was okay if she did this maybe a little differently than her ideal, than her perfect vision of, of how to be a friend. So wrapping up, it can be very difficult, very painful to be perceived as selfish, you know, especially when we're trying to connect with people in earnestness. And so, you know, my guess is that if you're still with me, you're not selfish. You care about how you're connecting. You care about how you're showing up in relationships, how you're showing up in conversations. You know, typically selfish people are not going to listen to a 20 minute podcast about whether or not they're selfish. It's not really their preferred activity. So thank you for hanging in there with me and I will see you next time. 